Well, good morning again. Great to see everyone this morning. You know, I was thinking as we were worshiping the Lord, how beautiful that was. Wasn't it beautiful to just sing and to let our expressions out to the Lord? I was thinking, what a crazy beginning of the new year, you know, with all the things going on in the world, the fires in Australia, you know, the tension in the Middle East, our political, you know, quagmire of stuff going on, um, uh, shooting in a church in Texas last week, right? I mean, so there's just so much weird stuff, and I feel so privileged to come this morning and to share I hope will be words of encouragement to you. Words that will be like Hebrews 6.18 talks about, we have this hope as an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast. I hope that the words this morning that come from this place, the word of God will really, really bring great encouragement to us. So, you ready? I want us to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We were there last week. Some of you weren't with us last week. We started a little two-part series called Happy New You. Not really original, but it is a beautiful sentiment to think about the fact that when we are in Christ, we are new creations. And this truth that we look at today, that we are new in every way, comes out of this passage. It's really what we build our purpose statement as a church around, and that is here at Three Crosses, everything we do is about life transformation through following Christ. And we get that right from this verse right here in chapter 5, verse 17. We'll put it on the screen. Let's read it out loud together just so everybody can kind of follow along. Ready? Here we go. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. What we're trying to say, what we're, what we're hoping to instill is that when we follow Jesus Christ, when we become Christians, Christ followers... <coughs> Uh, everything changes in our lives. There's things that go away that are old and things that are new that have come. And, uh, and it's just an absolutely beautiful thing. Uh, and this morning, uh, we want to just review for a minute, for those of you that weren't here with us last week, we talked about what has gone for good in our lives. And when Paul writes this, he says, if anyone, and by the way, look at the qualifier, if anyone is what? In Christ. Not just if anyone is in church, or if anyone is in a relationship with someone that knows Christ, or if anyone is a good person. No, the qualifier is if anyone is in Christ. So the big question, of course, is what does it mean to be in Christ? And we'll get to that in a minute. But those who are in Christ become a new creation, and two things are true of them, Paul says. One, the old is gone, and two, the new has come. Now, Paul doesn't go into great detail right here in this text, although there's a lot of inference around it. Uh, but we, we looked at many other scriptures last week to see what is gone for good. And we found that there are many things that are gone for good. For example, our hostility to God is gone. We are no longer enemies. We are friends with God. It's amazing. The penalty of our sin is gone for good, past, present, and future. That is such good news. Uh, the, the old identity that we had as being under the dominion of Satan is gone, and it's gone for good. Uh, our spiritual blindness, uh, when we were trapped in darkness, we were once darkness, Ephesians 5.8, now we've been made light as children of the Lord. So the, our blindness is gone, and that's gone for good. Um, the chains that held us captive to do things that were displeasing to God, those things are gone also. The chains are broken, they're gone for good. And lastly, we said, and again, not an exhaustive list, but we said lastly that our regret is gone. Christians should not have regret. Because we know that even the broken stuff of our old life and even the broken stuff that we do in our new life, God's going to use. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his plan. 
So that was our little six-part. Someone grabbed me on Monday and said, Larry, thanks for the six-part series in 30 minutes last week. That was really great. I know it was like drinking out of a fire hose. But I, I want, and we could have gone way more. But the point was, I wanted you to see what was gone, what's gone and gone for good. Paul uses the aorist verb there. He says, uh, when he used the word gone, um, uh, the, the word is in the aorist tense, the Greek verb. And it means it's not just gone for a while. It's gone for good. It's gone. And then he uses a different verb tense when he says, and new things uh, have come. The word come there, gegomen, in the Greek language, it's, it's a verb in the perfect tense, not eris, perfect, which means that which has happened, a, 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 a completed past action is having continuous result in the present. That's what the perfect tense tells us. So what Paul's saying here is whatever this new that has come is not just new for a moment, it's new forever. It's going to stay with us forever. So last week, what's gone for good. This week, what's here to stay. What's here to stay. We want to talk about what's here to stay. Now, let's face it. Everybody loves new stuff, right? Right? I, I like new stuff. I mean, new stuff's fun. You know, maybe you're wearing something you got for Christmas that's new. And I'm not going to ask you to stand and show us what it is or anything. <laughs> you might want to. But it, it, maybe, you know, new is fun. New is cool. Uh, you get a new car. I've had two new cars in my lifetime. And getting a new car, is there's something special about that. And it, really, it is. It, that new car smells fantastic, you know. Uh, you start getting the bill for the new car, changes a little bit of the joy of everything, but nevertheless, new is fun, new is cool. Uh, our oldest daughter, I told a story about her last week, uh, you know, when she was born, you know, enormous bill and all that stuff that got forgiven by the hospital, that was wonderful. Well, actually, I was kind of holding back on some personal news. Uh, they, my daughter and her husband, Katie and Walker, announced to us recently that they are expecting, they're having uh, a baby. So... I am so excited. Carla and I, we couldn't be happier for them. It's wonderful. And that's, that's a new thing for them, new parents. If you're a new parent, you know how fun that is, how wonderful it is, how exciting it is. And, uh, and so that new, new is cool. New is great. But, but here's what I've learned about new. Uh, new doesn't always stay new in this life, right? I mean, you get new stuff, new stuff gets old, new stuff wears out, new stuff breaks. Um, you know, new car smell goes away, you know. Uh, new, new doesn't always stick around like the way we like it. In fact, I was new 62 years ago. Look at me now. <laughs> Lots has changed, you know. So new changes. In, in this life, new is always changing. But here's, I'm saying all that to tell you this. The good news is God's word says, when Paul says, the old is gone, the new has come. He's saying the new has come and it's, it's new today. And it'll be new five minutes from now. It'll be new 10 minutes from now. It'll be new tonight, new tomorrow morning, new tomorrow afternoon. Shall I go on? It'll be new forever because this is what God has done in our lives. He makes us new, but not just from a past action. It's perennially new in our lives. So let me ask you the question. What do you think are the new things that God has done? Paul doesn't describe them here. He gives us some clues to them, but, but we're going to go into some other places of Scripture. If you have your Bible, you can hold your place in 2 Corinthians but let me show you, I'm gonna, last week was six things, maybe a little too many. This week we're going to do three things, okay? Three things that are new, three things that are going to stay forever and ever and ever. They're never going to change in your life if you're in Christ. Are you ready? Number one, we are alive. Alive. Okay, so write that down and let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Ephesians, please. In my Bible, it's only about five pages over to the right. Should be about that in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. I want us to see something that is extraordinary here. 
We're saying that we are alive, and that is something that's new, and it's new forever. Now, Paul's writing here in Ephesians, and he gives us just a little more insight into this new thing that God has done in our lives. And we'll pick it up in verse 3, where it says, in the end of verse 3, it says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So what's come before this is our pre-Christian experience, our pre-conversion experience. We were by nature objects of wrath. But remember, last week, God's canceled all that, right? Because his wrath was poured out on his son, Jesus, and the hostility has been canceled. He has reconciled us, 1 Corinthians 5, 18. All this is from God who has reconciled us to his, himself through his son, Jesus. We were once by nature objects of wrath. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Now, I want to just key in on a couple of things here. First of all, this is the controlling verb of this paragraph. He's made us alive in Christ. This is where our ears perk up. We say, wait a minute. The, the action of what's happened is something that Paul wants us to see, the work that God has done. He has made us alive in Christ. Now, that's speaking certainly of our conversion, even when we were dead in our transgressions. So we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't come close to getting it by the works of our own uh, flesh. It was something that God did. And then he just emphasizes the end of verse 5. It is by grace you have been saved. Now look at verse 6. And, here comes a second verb in the text, and God raised us up with Christ, and, third verb, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now the reason I'm pointing this out is that there's a progression that happens here. First there's conversion. He's made us alive. Then he's raised us up with Christ. Then he seated us with Christ in the heavenly realm. But when I say progression, I don't mean over time. This all happened past experience with present continuing results. I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will one day be saved. This is the beauty, this is the glory of our conversion, that we are in this beautiful process that God is leading us by simply placing our faith in him. Now, the reason I say this is some of us, and myself included, I've had my doubts in my life. You ever doubted whether you were a follower of Christ? We've all had our doubts. We've had times where we say, you know, how could a Christian think this way or live this way? Or how could I be in this season of my life? Some of us have been in seasons where we just think, I guess I'm not a Christian. You know, like, like I've, I've just kind of fallen off the wagon, so to speak. And some of us even come from uh, backgrounds, church backgrounds, where we were taught that, you know, you can lose your salvation. Like if you, sin, if you sin in a certain way or you sin long enough in a certain sin, you're going to lose your salvation. And I, I just want to go on record, and I, I want to encourage you with this, that I believe that the Scripture, the weight of Scripture far and away teaches us that if we were ever in Christ, we will forever be in Christ. That there's not like this maybe today, maybe not tomorrow thing. It's we are in Christ. If we were ever in Christ, we are forever in Christ. And why, why do I say that? Because the totality of Scripture teaches it. But let me just show it to you right here in Ephesians chapter 2. Look back again at your text, verse 6. After God saved us, he raised us up with Christ. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Now look at verse 7. This is the mind blower. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ 
Jesus. We become the showcase of God's unlimited grace and mercy toward those who will believe in his son, Jesus. And that showcase happens throughout all eternity. And in God's mind, it's already happened. That's what the language of verse 7 is. So that in the coming ages, all this is going to take place. So watch this. If God has made us alive, raised us up with Christ, seated us in the heavenly realm so that in the coming ages he may proclaim his glories through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, how could there ever be a moment where once we were in Christ and now we are out? There's no way. There's no possibility because God gives us a vision of eternity future and this is what God is saying to us about now. I don't know. I just get excited about that knowing that I'm alive and I will forever be alive in him. By the way, don't forget what Jesus said about this in John 5, 24. Let's read this out loud. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He is crossed over from death to life. Now, I, I know for those of us who have been around for a while, that's, that's common lingo in the church. You know, like we've crossed over from death to life. But let that sink in. You've crossed over. You're, there's no going back. You are alive today and you will never cease to be alive. Jesus in John 11, you remember when he uh, raised Lazarus from the dead and he's talking to Mary and Martha and he says this amazing thing. He says, he says I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, he who believes in me will live even though he dies and he who lives and believes in me will never die. You see, the, it's, it's, we know physically we're going to die. But I think it's in Revelation 20 where the second death happens and that's where people are sent into an eternity apart from Christ apart from God, a place called hell, a place of everlasting torment and destruction. Oh my goodness. The Bible says that that's the second death. We will never face the second death because we are made alive in Christ. And I am grateful for that. And I hope you are too. That never changes. That's never going to change in your life. You are alive and you will never cease being alive. Now, practically speaking, we don't always feel alive, right? <laughs> we don't. We don't. And I mean that, you know, from a physical standpoint, we don't always feel very alive, you know, we're slow in the morning, you know, or we look in the mirror, oh my goodness, you know, what am I going to do with this, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> we're, but don't you love, I love uh, 2 Corinthians 4, which is kind of right in the text we're looking at, verse 16, though the outer man decays, the inner man is being renewed day by day. So even when we don't feel physically very with it, We've got the promise that even though the outside is, you know, it's going down, the inside is being renewed. And that's great news, especially for those of us who are seeing our age, right? Yeah, okay, I'm alone. I'm alone. <laughs> I don't mind being alone. It's all right. I take great encouragement from knowing that even though this outer person decays, the inner man's being renewed. But here's something even better. What's better than all of that is that um, spiritually speaking, I'm never going to age. Now, I can become more mature spiritually, but I'm never going to age. I, and I don't, I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but one of the things for sure heaven's going to be like is there's going to be a lot of energy and activity and joy because that's what comes with youthfulness. And I, I don't know. I think, oh, I'm not going to get into that right now. <laughs> I'm going to lose my, my point. Here's the point. If you don't feel very alive today, uh, spiritually speaking, can I just encourage you, if you're struggling with that today, engage more this week 
in those areas which are life-sustaining to you. Now, true, you could not be a believer. You might not be in Christ, and therefore you don't feel alive. In fact, I hope, I hope somehow God's given you a sense that you're dead if you're not in Christ. Are you following me? Say amen if you're following me. Amen. So I don't want to miss this up. If you just woke up out of something, you might have heard something really weird there. You know, We're talking about like God has to show us that we're dead and we need life. And once we turn to him by simple faith, he makes us alive. But if you're not feeling alive, then why not just kind of hang out a little bit with the things that he promises come along with your life, like a hunger for his word. James 1 says that the word of the Lord, the word of life, the, the word brings us life. It, it brings life into us. So, you know, see this as like a respirator in your life. It's a vital sign. Do you ever hunger for God's word? Are you thirsty for God's word? How about just talking to God, prayer, communicating with God? How about community, being with God's people? I mean, those are things that are, for the believer in Christ, for those who are in Christ, those are the things that sort of like nurture our life. And so maybe you don't feel alive because you haven't been in God's word. You're not really taking time to talk to God in a daily way, in a moment-by-moment way. Or maybe it's been a long time since you've connected with God's people. And maybe today's the first day back. Great, praise God. And it's not just here. It's fellowship with other believers in a small group, in a place where you can connect and, and find um, commonality. All right, so we're alive in Christ. That's, the, that's something that's never gonna go away. That's here to stay. Got it? Second thing is that we have the righteousness of God. Now this is, this is to me even more amazing. And I don't know how it could be more amazing than being alive, because if you're dead, the one thing you need is life, right? But the Bible tells us that even though we were dead in our transgressions and sins, not only did he make us alive, but he placed his righteousness in us. Um, It was Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, he was a great man of God, but Martin Luther, who lived in the 1600s, who was a, a Catholic priest who was teaching the book of Romans when he stumbled upon verse 17 of chapter 1, which forever changed his life. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is made known. He couldn't get past that statement. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is made known. He saw it again in chapter 3 where it says, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. So here he was trying to keep the law as a means of salvation, and he learns from the book of Romans that there's a righteousness that comes apart from the law. Whoa. And I I hazard a guess that there's some of us sitting here today who think that it's keeping the law of God that saves us. If we just keep the law of God better, we would, you know, be saved. So we're always working toward our salvation. And that's not the gospel. I mean, I I would hope that all of us knew that, but in a crowd this size, I have a feeling that there's some of us still operating under the principle of, I'm going to work harder and I'm going to deserve God's grace in my life. I'm going to get saved by keeping God's commands. But the commands were not given to save you. The commands were given to show you that you couldn't keep them and that you needed someone who kept them. And that's Jesus. Jesus kept 
the law to the T, and he was the sacrifice. In fact, if you're in 2 Corinthians, remember 2 Corinthians 5, uh, the most succinct scripture we have in all of the Bible about the atoning work of Christ is right here in verse 21 of chapter 5. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the most amazing verse of the atoning work of Christ found in Scripture. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. He was rejected so we could be accepted. He was crushed for our iniquities, pierced for our transgressions. He was our sin substitute. He was our sacrifice. Praise God for Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who came. Amen. And, and the beautiful benefit of that is that no longer am I, I I'm still a sinner, but my, my identity is no longer that I'm a sinner. Are you following that? I'm standing up because I'm excited about this. <laughs> I, I'm a sinner, but my identity is that I'm in Christ. I have the righteousness of Christ. I have been made righteous because ask the people around me, including my family, they know I'm not righteous. And if you have any doubts about that, ask the people in your life. They'll tell you. You're, nobody's for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But this is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel tells us that there is a righteousness that comes from God, not on the basis of works, not on how well I do. And some of us today feel like, okay, God's down on me because I sinned this past week or I, I blew it in some area of my life. And God's down on me. God favors me when I do well. God's down on me when I do bad. And we kind of live in this sort of dumpster feeling. That's not the gospel. And I get it. It's hard when we walk into areas of our life we know are compromised, we sin, we discover something that's wrong. Oh. And we start thinking, I got to work my way back. Now, now I'm going to say something that I hope will help you understand. While God has made us righteous doesn't mean that we should not pursue a lifestyle of righteousness, okay? But that's all out of my response to having been made righteous, right? I don't do this to get righteous. I'm already righteous. My identity is that I am righteous in Christ, but I am also being made holy day by day. And this is, this is the beauty of the doctrine of sanctification, that we grow closer. Remember you said last week, sin, Christians don't, they're not sinless, but hopefully they sin less, right? So, so hopefully there's less and less sin in our life. But let's face it, we hit points, we fall to temptation, we do things, say things, think things that are egregious to God. But in those moments where Satan is accusing us and telling us, see, you're not a Christian, when you say, wait a minute, I know I'm a child of God. I've been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I agree, that's what the word confession, homologeton in the Greek, it means to agree with. I agree with God where I've fallen short. And, and in confessing that, I get right back on track. I say, God, give me your spirit and desire to walk in you. Create in me a clean heart, right? Psalm 51. I love... Uh, Paul goes on on this in Romans chapter 4, just real quick. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He just believed God. Remember, Abraham, take your son, the son of promise, Isaac, go up the mountain, sacrifice him for me there. And, I, and Abraham's going, what? The son of promise? But he believes God 
And he takes his son up the mountain and then God stops him from the sacrifice and he says, because you believe me, because you believe that I could raise him from the dead. His faith reckoned Abraham as being righteous. And he goes on to say, Romans 4, 4 and 5, watch this carefully, this is so good. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God to justify the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. All right? How many of us here work for a paycheck? We work and we get paid. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Most of us. What are the rest of you doing with your life? I don't know. Okay, most of us. Now, you're, doesn't matter. When we get a paycheck, we don't run into our boss's office and say, this is amazing. I can't believe it. It happened two weeks ago. It happened again this week. I got a check for what I do. Thank you so much. I just, ah! You know, we don't do that. The, your boss would say, you're crazy. You worked for this. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be grateful. I'm not saying we shouldn't be grateful. We should be grateful and thankful. But the reason we get the check is because we work for it, right? Do you see what Paul says here in Romans 4? He says, however, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked. God takes sinners like you and me and he, he not only makes us alive, he gives us the faith to believe that makes us alive. And by trusting in his amazing work of Jesus' death on the cross, he justifies us. Romans 5.1, having been justified by what? Faith. faith, we have peace with God. Not having been justified by our works, Having been justified by faith, and this is what Paul is saying all through the book of Romans, starting from chapter 1 all the way right here in chapter 4, he's saying you've got to get out of your mind the fact that you're earning what you could never earn. What is here to stay forever if you're in Christ is that you have the righteousness of God. Now, reality, we don't always feel very righteous, do we? You might not feel righteous today because of something that happened yesterday or last week or last month or last year, or a decade ago. If that's you this morning, maybe this week you should meditate on scriptures which promise you are. I was thinking while we were singing that song, I'm a child of God. I know I'm a child of God. This is a beautiful song to sing. And that should resonate with scriptures like what we're looking at today, Ephesians chapter 1, or Ephesians chapter 2, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 4. We are justified not by our works, but by the work of Christ. Okay? So what's going to stay forever? We are alive in Christ. We have the righteousness of God. Here's a third thing, and we're going to be done with this today. We also are adopted into God's family. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul goes into great detail about this, but he says in verse 5, he says, He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. And this is here to stay. This is not here today and gone tomorrow. We are alive, we are righteous, and we are adopted. We are in his family forever. And our adoption means a lots of stuff. I've just narrowed them down to two things I want you to see our adoption does. Number one, it guarantees us an inheritance. Say the word inheritance. inheritance. There's something about an inheritance. You know, my, my parents left me with an inheritance. 
Um, their parents left them. There's sort of a trickle-down effect. Um, you know, my wife and I, we're spending all of our kids' in inheritance. So we're... <laughs> Not really. I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be something for them in the end. Um, there's, something, there's something about an inheritance that is beautiful. And Paul uses this language of inheritance when he writes um, in Galatians 4, for example. We'll put this on the screen. This is beautiful. Watch this. He said, because you are sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. We'll come back to that in a minute. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Now, there's a lot of language of sonship in this, and ladies, don't be offended by this. Paul is writing in a Greco-Roman world, and so he has, to just, he has to stipulate that is the son that is adopted, that is the full right to the heir, just like the, the natural-born son. So because we are adopted, and by the way, none of us are in God's family because we were naturally born, right? We're adopted into God's family by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And this adoption, Paul says, is just as legally binding as being born as a natural citizen. So in the Greco-Roman world, if you were adopted, uh, a true adoption in the Greco Roman Greco world was just as valid in terms of inheritance as someone who was naturally born. And God wants us to know that. We didn't come in because of our works. We didn't come because we were part of a people group. We came because simply by God's grace, we placed our faith and trust in Jesus. End of story. We are adopted. There's, a, there's an inheritance that's waiting for us. And I love that. By the way, that's the foundation of the theology of contentment. We should all be, the most contented people in the world ought to be Christ followers. Because even though we've got a lot of stuff, and believe me, I've got a lot of stuff, um, but, I, but I think I can say with my whole heart that if all that stuff went away, I know I have an inheritance in Christ. I know that my life would not, I mean, there would be annoyance and grievance and, you know, I mean, I could lose stuff and, and yeah, we all get that. But it's like David wrote in the Psalms, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, what? Want. And I think it's the emphasis, it's like, the Lord is my shepherd, because the Lord is my shepherd, I don't have any wants. I've got needs. But if I've got him, that's all I need, really. So, you know, if we lose it all this week, we lose it all. But we've got Christ. And we can be content in that. By the way, I hate to break this to you, but some of us listening to this message today are going to be in heaven this year. Odds are, someone listening to this message today, and it could be me too, hello, could be me. And if that's the way it is, great. Because that's where we're destined to be. That's where our inheritance is. With Christ in heaven, Colossians 3. Keep your eyes on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Wow. It's, you know, it's like Mark Twain used to say, I think he said, everybody loves the fact that they say they're going to heaven, but nobody wants to go there today, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and I get that. I mean, there's a lot to live for. But I, I'm just going to go on record. Hey, if it is this year for me, praise God. I would rather be with him. I long to be in the presence of my Savior, to experience his affections 
in a present proximity. Because I get little tastes of it here and there. Like in a worship service like this, I was down here, you didn't see it, but I was weeping during that song. I don't know, just the Spirit of God came over me like, this is true of you, Larry. And it was just, just like I broke. It's like, and when it breaks like that, it's like, that's my spirit saying, I want to be with you, Lord. So be excited about that. And lastly, just what else does it mean? Not only inheritance, but it means, it means intimacy with God. And that's kind of what I was just alluding to. Intimacy with God, both in the Galatians passage, also in Romans 8, Paul tells us that as sons, we cry, Abba, Father. You know, that's an endearing term, Abba in the Aramaic. It's a way of saying like, Papa, Daddy. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, remember Matthew 6, when you pray, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. And we, we don't realize how scandalous that was when Jesus said, this is the way you ought to pray. Because if you were a Jew living in that day, you'd never say Father. You would always say Elohim. You would say El Shaddai, Jehovah Rophe. You would use the proper name of God. And even there you would be careful because you couldn't use the full name of God out of respect for him. And when Jesus said, when you come into God's presence, the Father's presence, you should call him Father. Paul said, "You you should say Daddy. You should say Papa. You know, I mentioned... Katie and Walker giving us our third grandson. Well, I have two other grandkids. You don't always get to hear about these guys, but I love them dearly. Um, I've got a three-and-a-half-year-old grandson named Jack, and I've got a a nine-month-old grandson named Charlie, and they live up in Oregon. And this last week, my daughter Carrie sent me a little video clip because Charlie woke up. He's nine months old. You know, boys don't talk till they're like 15, 20. I don't know. But at nine months, he started to talk just the other day. And so he woke up saying this word. I want you to hear this. This is really cute. Watch this. Just, just to be clear, I think he's saying, Grandpa? Grandpa? <laughs> I told that to Carrie. She goes, no, he wasn't. He was in. Anyway, oh, man, I've watched that video a hundred times. You know, the first words of your kid saying Papa or Mama, it's, you know, that's just, a, a, that's just the reality of intimacy. They love their parents. And when you belong to Christ... You love your earth, your heavenly father, and you cry out for him, and you say, Abba, Abba, Father. I know for some of us, that's hard to hear because we had earthly fathers that were not so good, didn't give to us an example of a, of a heavenly father that loves us unconditionally, but the good news is, is, you know, no matter how your earthly father was, you have a heavenly father that wants to show you throughout your life just how good he really is. And you can trust him for that. And that's never going away. If you're in Christ, you're alive, you are righteous, and you are in his family forever. Amen? Amen. The only thing remaining 
As if today, you know, you can't say with full assurance that you are in Christ. And the, the good news is it's, it's not rocket science. You can be a child or an aging adult and simply hear the good news of the gospel that if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to forgive your sins and make you new in him, he promises he will do it. Let's go to the Lord right now.